The problem with most business presentations is that they are 99% facts and figures. And then if we are lucky, 1% is story. I'm talking about confidence in presenting, communicating your ideas. A lot of people think that comes from either innate self-belief or wishful thinking, and it has nothing to do with that. Aristotle was the first one who gave us some building blocks for effective communication, for persuasion, more than 2,000 years ago. And he didn't have ChatGPT. From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School Podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Danda, and on today's episode, I have not just a guest, I would class him more of a friend, somebody who has been partnering with myself and my good friend Grant Wright, who is my awesome co-host of the Visual Jam, which is a global visual thinking community. And we've had this guest on the Visual Jam a couple of times. He is a presentation coach and head of Ideas on Stage UK. He specializes in working with business owners, leaders, and their teams who want to become more confident speakers, a skill that I think a lot of us could definitely do with. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Andrea Pacini. Hey, Andrea, how are you doing? Thank you. Thank you very much, Paddy. I'm good. What about you? Um, excellent. And I'm so proud of myself because I said all of that without making a single blunder. And those of my audience that know me will know that I mess up everybody's intro usually. So I've got a whole bloopers reel that will be coming out at some point and you'll see how bad I am at intros. <laughs> Thank you. I feel privileged. And definitely you can say friend. Absolutely. We're friends. We partner, as you said, the visual jump I love. Everything you do, grand, the visual germ. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh, awesome. And it is a pleasure to have you on today as well, Andrea, because I know I'm going to be learning loads from you. But before we go into that, let me take you back to when you were a young lad, <laughs> probably the age of about 12, 11 or 12. Because I always find that's a magical moment in many of our childhoods. And if you could take me back to that time and just tell me what was life like for you growing up and just let us get to know you a bit better. I was in Italy. I grew up in Italy. I was in a small town, in a small region that nobody knows, not even in Italy. I always say near Rome, but it has nothing to do with Rome. And on the seaside, beautiful little town playing football. So that was my, I guess, my only interest at the time. I know that Grant, for example, I don't know about you, Paddy, but Grant is a Liverpool fan, if I'm not, if I remember well. I'm a Juventus fan. So for me, life at 12 was about small village on the seaside, playing football, family, friends, and yeah, ordinary, I would say. 
ordinary. That's extraordinary, I would say, for someone like me who's been brought up in a city environment. I would say that's a dream. And from those early childhood memories, what was the moment for you where you really thought seriously about doing what you do today? Was it during that early time in your life or did that happen way later? And what led up to that decision? Here is what happens. The reason why I ended up doing what I'm doing and why I'm so passionate about presenting public speaking is because when I was a little kid, so it's interesting that you asked that question. When I was a little kid growing up in Italy, I grew up in a family of very small business owners. My parents have always been running their own very small business together. They still do. And so as a kid, I saw the challenges because raising four kids while trying to run a business is not easy. But I also saw in them the spark, the entrepreneurial mindset, the proactive approach to life. And so that's why I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, to run my own thing. Now, Paddy, in reality, that remained a dream for a long time because before doing what I'm doing now, I tried many things, started many projects. All of them failed. But it was useful because in that process, what I realized was that there are so many great ideas that fail, not because of the ideas themselves, themselves, themselves but just because of the way we present them. And that's why, to cut it short, then eventually I became a presentation coach. That's why my mission is to stop great ideas from failing just because of the way we communicate them. My mission part is to help hundreds of thousands of business leaders share their message so they can grow their business, increase their influence, and why not even make a positive impact in the world? Oh, what a fantastic mission to have. When I look at my kids, my son who's 11 and my daughter who's 13, I really would like them to have that confidence to be able to speak publicly. But I always found as I was growing up, I really didn't have that support during my school life. I know things have gone a little bit better now in the British schooling system where the teachers do encourage the kids to stand up and speak. But I would love for that skill set to have more importance from a younger age. I guess from your experiences of working with leaders, how have you found people's confidence in speaking when you first meet them? The, and again, it's interesting that you use that word because that's the main thing I do. I help business owners, leaders, and their teams become more confident presenters. Confidence, confidence, that's the key word I hear all the time. And the interesting thing is, and by the way, Pande, it's not if you are the CEO or even a large team that you are naturally confident presenter. No, that's not the case. I often work with very experienced people who are very good at what they do. They know their stuff. They have expertise. They have knowledge. But then whether they are aware of it or not, but often they struggle to communicate their ideas effectively. And if we think about confidence, it's an interesting one because a lot of people think that confidence, and I'm talking about confidence in presenting, communicating your ideas, a lot of people think that comes from either innate self-belief or wishful thinking. 
and it has nothing to do with that. Confidence comes from, first of all, familiarity. You mentioned kids at school, if they, if the school system helps them do that, create an environment that makes it possible for them to do it, to practice it, then naturally they will become more confident. So it comes from familiarity. The more we do certain things, the more confident we become at doing those things. And it also comes from another thing, which is following a certain process. Most people wing it. They just think that presenting is something that you go and you just give it a try and you just wing it. it no, there's a structured way of thinking about presenting from understanding your audience to knowing how to brainstorm in an effective way to identify your key messages to creating a clear and engaging story and from the very beginning where you need to be able to capture the audience's attention to the end where you want to give a clear punchline making it very clear to your audience what was your point and why they should care about it so audience idea generation brainstorming creation of a storyline illustration now, with the visual jam, you cover that as well. You want to be able to illustrate your ideas effectively. You want to avoid, for example, the typical death by PowerPoint. People can't read and listen at the same time. And also, connection. So you've got a great message. You need to be able to make a good connection with the audience with your message. You need to rehearse. You need to do it properly. So that's what I mean by there's a structured way of thinking about presenting. There's a process. And not following a certain process is one of the main things that creates discomfort. So the opposite also of confidence when we are in front of an audience. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I love those insights because I was listening to a podcast just the other day and the amazing Nancy Duarte, who's the author of Resonate and a bunch of other books, she was talking about how she's working with this very high profile CEO and he was going to pitch to investors for investment and he turned up with a whole bunch of slides and she and her company advised him to scrap the slides and she encouraged him to illustrate his story and the actual pitch was done by him actually doodling on a flip chart and she said he was very successful in getting the buy-in from the audience. But it's quite interesting how the tooling was almost irrelevant. And I know a lot of people do straight away when they have to do a presentation, they turn to something like PowerPoint. What's your views on the tools that people use when they're about to create a presentation of some sort? I'm 100% aligned with Nancy's approach. She's fantastic. The company is fantastic. And yeah, we, when we think about presentations, we immediately associate a presentation with PowerPoint or any other presentation tool. It doesn't make any difference. But you're right. Who says that we always need to use slides, for example, when presenting? I always tell my clients, when you give a presentation, you are the presentation, not your slides. We need to craft a captivating message that makes sense for the audience. And then you want to ask yourself, does it help for the audience? If I illustrate my message with slides, for example, if the answer is yes, and only if the answer is yes, 
then okay, we can consider that tool as well. But sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes, like in your example, maybe it's better to use a flip chart or a whiteboard, or you just go there and you add the presentation and with nothing at all, you add the message. And in terms of tools, I think the best presentation tool, even from a visual perspective, is just a blank piece of paper. John Cleese said, we don't know where we get our ideas from, but what we do know is that we don't get them from our laptops. So if you really want to be creative, then forget about the tools, forget about the technology, and learn the fundamental principles of communication. Tools can be useful if you want sometimes to amplify your message, but the message is the most important thing. So if somebody out there is due to do a presentation of some sort, they have to speak publicly for whatever reason, where might they start? Why might the first thing that they do? Because you alluded to, you know, kind of following a certain structure, a certain approach. Could you give us some tips in terms of where they should start and what are some of the things for them to really focus on? So actually, the very first thing most people do, Paddy, is they just open up PowerPoint and put together some slides, including experienced business professionals. Others, what they do is they start thinking about what they want to communicate, which is definitely better than just opening up a presentation tool, but even that is not the very first thing you want to do. The first thing is the audience. You want to start with them, with the audience. When you give a presentation, it's their presentation or yours. It's always the audience's presentation. Paddy, think of a presentation as a present. If I want to give present, it's your present, not mine. And so I need to make sure that I know you so that I can buy something that you like. A presentation is very similar. When you give people a presentation, it's their presentation, yours. And so you need to make sure that you know your audience definitely before you open up PowerPoint, but also before you start thinking about what you want to say. And to do that, I'll give you, a, for our listeners, I'll give you a practical tool. The very first thing we do when we work with our clients, we always start with what we call the ABC of preparation. ABC, which stands for audience, burning needs, context. Audience, burning needs, context. ABC, which means that before you do anything else, you want to take some time, even if it's just a few minutes, but do take some time and ask yourself some questions about the audience. Who are they? Their burning needs, what do they really need? What do they expect from your presentation? What do they expect to hear? What do they need to hear? Do they have any concerns about you or about your subject? You may want to know that. And then context, for example, what's the duration of that presentation? We said slides, do you want to use slides? Perfect, can you do that? Is there a screen or a projector? Is it one-to-one, is it one-to-many? If it's one-to-many, honey, is it in person? Is it online? If it's online, what tool are you going to use? Are you sure that your audience can get access to that tool? Now, don't get me wrong, Paddy. I'm not saying that if we don't do that, then we can't create a great presentation. We can. But the risk is that we develop a fantastic presentation before the wrong audience. Perfect. Oh, I love that. Especially the audience. I think that, for me, is something really important. And again, something that I've learned over the years, I think if I go back to one of my first ever 
public speaking examples, which was a bit of a car crash, if I'm honest. I was presenting to a group of business analysts. And at the time, I was a business analyst. However, I was making a lot of jokes about project managers because there's this healthy tension between project management and business analysis. But the problem was, there was one person in the audience who was a project manager. And right at the end of the talk, he put up his hand and he objected to some of the jokes that I had made. And it turns out he was the, the project management institute president for that particular country. So he was pretty important. And someone who's very passionate about his profession. And although I was doing it in good banter, I think I maybe had offended him a little bit. Afterwards, we made up for sure. I took him out and we had a drink together and it was, everything was fine. But it goes back to that point that you mentioned. Knowing your audience is so important because it certainly could get you in trouble as well. I'll give you my own example. Not something that happened to me, but something that happened to one of our clients. Some time ago, we worked with a lady. Her name is Marie from Paris. Marie is an executive. She's an expert in leadership. And she was invited by an association in Finland to give a talk about leadership. And she was super excited. It was one of the first international speaking opportunities. So she prepared really well. She knew her message. She told us that she prepared 50 beautiful slides. And also, from a delivery perspective, she was ready. She rehearsed. So she was ready to go. She flew to Finland the day before the conference, then arrived there on the day, half an hour before the audience, because she wanted to make sure that she had time to set things up. And when she was about to connect her laptop to the screen, she realized that there was no screen. So a little bit of panic, she went and asked the organizers, assuming that they would say, oh, sorry, Marie, now we're going to find a solution for you. But what they did instead was they started laughing. They started laughing. And so she says, why are you laughing? And they say, look, Marie, you want to show 50 slides, but actually you've been invited to give a talk to the association in Finland of blind people. Blind people. Now, I know it's an extreme example. It sounds like a bad joke. You were talking about jokes. It sounds like a bad joke. You see, Marie didn't know her audience. She didn't even take the time to translate the name of the association from Finnish to French. And she would have realized that perhaps there was no need to have 50 beautiful slides. So the lesson for us is that if we want to make sure that our presentations, our message is relevant. We should want to make sure that our message is relevant to the audience. Oh my God. What a crazy story that was, Andrea. As in, you said it was an extreme example, but I was just picturing that whole scenario playing out and thinking, wow, I feel so sorry for her because that was so extreme that I don't think most of us could have anticipated that unless we had translated the name of the association, as you mentioned. So, wow, that's a real big lesson learned, I think, for sure. So, Andrea, in terms of some of the talks that you've come across, what are some of your favorites out there in the public domain that you would say, hey, you know what, that talk there epitomizes everything good about public speaking? One of my favorite talks 
is a TED talk. So it's there. You can watch it. It's a TED talk by, I don't know if it's my favorite one, but it's the first one that comes to mind by Brian Stevenson. We need to talk about an injustice. By the way, there's also a Netflix, I think it was on Netflix. I watched it recently, a, a film about his life, Brian Stevenson, amazing guy. We need to talk about an injustice. And he talks about the injustice of the American justice system. And that talk was so powerful. By the way, no slides. It's just him. Remember, you are the presentation, not your slides, with a powerful story to share. And he received the longest standing ovation in the history of TED. Plus, the audience donated $1 million to his non-profit organization after the presentation. So he spoke for 18 minutes. That's the equivalent of $55,000 per minute that he spoke. So I would say a very successful presentation. And the there are many things there, but the main reason why I think that talk was so powerful is because of storytelling. Most of his talk is him sharing stories. And that's a big lesson for us because we can apply also in other contexts. It doesn't have to be a TED talk, even in business. The problem with most business presentations is that they are 99% facts and figures. And then if we are lucky, 1% is story. To be unbalanced, we should turn this around. So the lesson for us is that we need to tell more stories. And that's the most powerful thing we can do to make a message more original and enjoyable. And when I say story, it doesn't have to be a once upon a time type of story. It doesn't have to be an emotional story. It could be, depends on the context. It doesn't have to be. It could be an example, an anecdote. It could be something that happened to you, a personal story, if it's connected to the point you want to get across. It could be stories about other people, again, if they are relevant. It could be a story about brand success. Say, for example, that there is another, there's an organization, a company that has already successfully implemented the recommendation, the strategy you have in mind, that's a story. So if we think about it, there's always a story to tell. And also, storytelling, so Brian Stevenson didn't just share some random stories, they all made a point. Storytelling is not about telling a story for the sake of telling a story. We want to tell a story because it's the best way to make a point. When we tell a story, our brain is hardwired to listen to stories, to enjoy them, to remember them. And so when you tell a story during the presentation, your audience will remember that story and what, they, and what it means and the point you want to get across. And that's why it's so powerful. Uh, I love some of the TED Talks out there. I think, you know, there's a lot of thought that's gone into them. And yet, they're quite small. They're about 17 minutes, I think, on average. And 18. 18, there we go. And it's just amazing how they pack so much into that small amount of time. And yet, when you go to a conference sometimes and you've got a, a keynote speaker, and I hope I'm not being unfair, but you know they'll have like 45 minutes to an hour. And you just think half of that is just filler time because they've filled it for the sake of the time and yet if they could condense it like we could probably get the best bits out in about 20 minutes so i i love the way they structure some of those ted talks my favorite 
actually, is Benjamin Zander, who's a famous composer, and uh, it's called, I've got it here in front of me, The Transformative Power of Classical Music. So for me, that TED Talk was enlightening because what he does is he gets the audience to really connect with classical music. And for people like me who, although I enjoy a bit of classical music, I'm not a big fan. It's not like it's the first track on my playlist. But his talk almost makes you fall in love with it. And the reason why I think that talk's so good is he's so animated and he just keeps you guessing. One minute he's playing the piano, next minute he's running across the stage Next minute, he'll start a story. And going back to the storytelling aspect, he starts these loops where he'll start a story but doesn't finish it. And then he'll start another story within that story. And by the end of the talk, he closes all of the loops, which I think is a great technique. I'm not a public speaking expert, but I found that technique to be really powerful. Any other tips on storytelling? Because I, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, storytelling is so powerful when done in the right way. You mentioned a few things, and I'll get to storytelling, but if you don't mind. So first of all, because you said TED Talks, 18 minutes, there's another one, which is, I don't remember the name of the speaker, maybe Christian something. The title is something along the lines of The Complete History of the World in 18 Minutes. So he shares 13 plus billion years in 18 minutes. So if somebody can do that, you were talking about business conferences, then it's possible for anybody to keep their presentations a little bit shorter. David uh, Christian, the history of our world in 18 minutes. Yes. And, and the reason why we think it's not possible to simplify is because, first of all, we need to consider that the more we say, the less they remember. So that's why that's important. And by the way, Pade, this is one of the biggest obstacles I see in communication when I work with clients. Often we know so much about our subject. So we, again, we are talking about experts. You said, you mentioned business analysts. It could be tech people, coaches. We are talking about those who know what they're talking about. They're very good at what they do. They are they know so much about the subject, they are so close to it, they are passionate about it, and so they think that everything is important. And so they think that they need to communicate everything. But we always need to put ourselves, going back to the audience issues, if everything is important, then nothing is important. For example, if you think about writing, all experienced writers know that the secret to great writing is not in what they say. It's in what they don't say. The more they remove, the better the book, or the better the article, the better the email, the better the blog. And the same is true with our presentations. So we want to avoid the mistake of including everything, all the complicating things. We need to keep it simple. And let me also mention something else, because you share that example of the speaker playing the piano and then sharing a story and then doing something else. What he was doing there, he was creating a multi-sensory experience, which is great in communication. Now, you don't have to be playing the piano on stage, again, in a more standard context, but 
anything you can do to create a multi-sensor experience, which means, for example, that yes, sometimes within the same presentation or workshop, you share some slides and then you stop sharing and you use a flip chart and then you stop there and you ask the audience to work on an exercise. And then yes, you share a story. So there is a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of that. That's what I'm talking about. When you create a multi-sensory experience, you touch more of the senses. As humans, you need to consider this. As humans, we have five senses. But then when we give a presentation, we just touch one of the senses. If you can touch, I'm not saying that you need to touch the five senses. It would be very difficult. But if you, at least if you touch two senses or three senses, that's what you're doing. Multi-sensory experience. And it's going to be much more enjoyable for the audience and much easier for them to get your point and to remember it. Talking about senses, we haven't mentioned the E word, which I hear a lot of people talking about when they're talking about storytelling and actually getting your message across, which is empathy. How important is empathy or creating empathy in a presentation? Empathy is everything. So if I had to choose one word to summarize everything, to summarize everything in relation to the importance of communication, presenting, public speaking, is empathy. And going back to what you said at the beginning, this is something that I've learned also myself from Nancy Duarte. They often talk about empathy. Empathy is about, rather than ego, which is, it's about me, it's my presentation. Empathy means this is not my presentation, it's their presentation. It's the audience's presentation. So everything we do, we said before that the very first thing you need to do is to start with the audience, understand, analyze the audience. This is not just a tick of the box exercise that you do at the beginning and then you forget it. No, you start with them, but then everything else you do in the process of creating and delivering a presentation needs to go back to that, to the audience, who they are, what they need, and the context. So when you think about your message, you brainstorm some ideas, you need to have empathy for your audience because maybe there are 23 things you want to include, but what are the three key priorities for this particular audience in this particular context? If instead of 23 things, you communicate the three things which are really important to them, that's empathy for the audience. From a delivery perspective, if instead of turning back to the audience, looking at your slides full of text, you keep it simple and visual, you make eye contact, you were talking about that presenter, the TED presenter being animated, using hand gestures, the more you move your hands, the more dynamic you will be, for example, then if you do all of these things, you do it because it's empathy for the audience. And so, yeah, it's, the, it's a key word. And I think this episode wouldn't be complete if I didn't mention this word AI or artificial intelligence, which is two words feels like the whole world is talking about chat GPT and all of these new AI capabilities. How do you think that will impact public speaking? Is there an impact or do you think public speaking is an art that is unaffected by these new technological advancements? Yes, there's an impact and I, I'm, using the, I'm using AI myself for my work with my clients. So I'm not against it. I think it can be super powerful. But I also think that AI is not going to change the way we present our ideas, 
the way we present information. And by the way, Paddy, this is very much connected to the ethos of this podcast, because I know that in your podcast, you do talk about that. You talk about the fact that your mission is, if you think about the fact that we've got robots, technology, artificial intelligence, you think that what really makes a difference is the human skills for the future, right? And I agree with you 100%. Now, I'll give an example. Jeff Bezos once said that everybody asks him, what do you think is going to change in the next 10 years? And he says, nobody ever asks me, what is it that's not going to change in the next 10 years? And he thinks that the second question is much more interesting because he says, if you pay attention to what's not going to change, then you can be successful. Because he says, in 10 years from now, I know for a fact that people will still want low prices, fast delivery, and a huge selection. So he says it's much more useful to focus on the things that don't change. So going back to AI, technology, tools will change. That's inevitable. PowerPoint will change. Chart GPT was 3, 3.5, 4, we'll get to 1,000. But what will never change are the fundamental principles of communication. Aristotle was the first one who gave us some building blocks for effective communication, for persuasion, more than 2,000 years ago. And he didn't have ChatGPT. He didn't have AI. He didn't have PowerPoint. He didn't have Zoom. So, Paddy, for you, for example, if you think about you give presentations, it will never happen that in 10 years from now that you give a presentation and somebody comes to you and they say, Paddy, that was great. I just wish that your message was not so simple for me to understand. I just wish that your message was not so clear for me to remember. I just wish that your message was not so relevant to me and my needs. I just wish that your message was not so engaging for me. That will never happen. That's why, on the one hand, of course, I think we need to pay attention to AI, technology, and we need to embrace it because humans plus AI, I think that's, that can be a very powerful combination if we use it in a smart way. But even more than that, I'm interested in the things that will not change. And what will not change are the fundamental principles of communication. Wow. That was so well put, Andrea. I really connected with everything you've just said there. So thank you for sharing that. Andrea, we're running out of time. So my last question I'd like to ask you is, if people do want to continue their journey in public speaking or dive into this world, what are some resources that you would recommend for them? And also, how can people get in touch with you? We have an online tool, the Confident Presenter Scorecard. People can Google it, or if you want to include in the show notes, Paddy, the Confident Presenter Scorecard, which is an online tool that allows people to... It's a self-assessment exercise. So it allows you to very quickly assess your current presentation skills in, for free in less than three minutes. You, it's an initial assessment, of course. You just need to answer a few questions, yes and no, very simple questions, and then you'll get a score, what that score means for you, and that also identifies opportunities for improvement. 
And then when you complete the scorecard, you also get instant access to the PDF version of a great book by, of course I'm biased, it's not my book, a colleague of mine, Phil Wicknell, who last year published Business Presentation Revolution. Again, I'm biased, but I do think it's a fantastic book. And that's one thing. So the Confident Presenter Scorecard. And then if people want to connect, our website is ideasonstage.com. And my main platform on social media is LinkedIn. So with my name, you should be able to find me. No hair, a bit of beard, and it's me. Oh, brilliant. And Andrea, I hear on the grapevine that you're in the process of launching your own book as well. Can you share anything on that or is that top secret for now? No, thank you. No, it's not top secret. Yes. So this year I'm going to publish my own book. The title, unless there are any final last minute changes, will be Confident Presenter because, again, we said that's what we do. We help business leaders become more confident presenters. And what I've decided to do in addition to asking Grant to design the illustrations for the book, but from a content perspective, I've decided to focus on just one thing, which is your message, your ability to develop a compelling message. Because I think that, again, going back to your very first question around confidence, another thing that a lot of people think is that if you think about confidence in presenting. And even if you think about the title of my book, Confident Presenter, I'm pretty sure that most people think, okay, this is about being on stage, body language, gestures. No, it's not that. 80% of your confidence boils down to your ability to craft a captivating message. If you do that, then of course you can amplify with your delivery skills, but your story, your message is the most important thing. And so apart from a couple of chapters on, for example, slide design and delivery, I focus the entire book on your ability to develop a captivating message. Oh, wow. That sounds super interesting. I'm going to be looking out for that for sure. So, Andrea, I just want to thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, which I knew it was going to be, but, you know, I just want to put it out there. And uh, yeah, some great insights there. Thank you very much, Paddy.